Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode number two of our Lenten podcast on the book of Isaiah. I'm Brian Belter. With me today are... Pastor Gimbel. And Isaac Conrad. And today we are going to be discussing Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. We're going to kind of do this in a uh, chunk-by-chunk fashion, just kind of read a little bit, discuss a little bit, read a little bit, discuss a little bit, and get some good insights into, you know, the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy here. So the good old Lutheran question, right, at potlucks, who's going to go first through the potluck line and read first, right? Let's go youngest to oldest. Okay. <laughs> that means <laughs> Isaac, I don't know, we talked about Voluntold last episode, how I basically okay. told Brian Belter he had to help with the podcast, so now you're Voluntold to read first. Okay, sounds good. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. All right. We come out of the gate swinging here with Isaiah pointing out some of the wickedness and sin and false worship going on in, in Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, right there in verse 10, starts off, calls them what? Sodom and Gomorrah. So that harkens back to the Old Testament story of Sodom and Gomorrah as found in the book of Genesis. Yeah, and so basically in that story, there are these angels that, come to visit Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot, he he welcomes the angels, but then the people of the city, they're so wicked that they start beating down Lot's door, telling them to bring those men outside so that they can do some not good things to them. Yeah, which we can't mention on this podcast. <laughs> And uh, the result of that wickedness is the complete destruction, right, of of both Sodom and Gomorrah. And here we have, and obviously the people in this time, in Isaiah's time, understand this story. They know this story. It's probably one of their one of the things they hold up pretty high. Yeah, as if you've ever heard of the term fire and brimstone, probably comes from that story of Sodom and Gomorrah, because that's probably literally what it looked like: this sulfur raining from heaven something like that, again, because of their sheer wickedness. And here's the chosen people hearing from Isaiah that they're just as wicked as Sodom, just as wicked as as Gomorrah, and the punishment could be the same. Uh, Then we move to verse 11, which to me uh, is a really telling verse. It talks a lot about the the worship and sacrifices that the, uh, the people in Judah are bringing forward and how God is not looking favorably upon these sacrifices. They're not what he requires. He doesn't need them. And that's got to hurt those people because this is the center of their religious life are these practices that they they go through. Yeah, so what was happening here was that they were just kind of going through the motions, right? He says, I have had enough of your burnt offerings and the fat of well-fed beasts. He does not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. So that means like the the external offerings don't matter because the people are still behaving wickedly outside of church. I think this is still a problem that people wrestle with today. 
is kind of a going through the motions with regards to sitting in church, maybe even giving or maybe even volunteering, but then compartmentalizing themselves maybe or or at least separating themselves with you know what they do just to appease God by those works as opposed to you know, where their heart is actually at or something like that. You think it's a good comparison? Um, you know, we always say faith without works is dead. Isn't it kind of the other way around here? That they're doing works without faith. So what's so those works don't mean anything. Uh, I haven't thought about that before. Possibly. I mean, those, those works, though, are different than what James is talking about, I mm-hmm. think. Because I think when James is talking about it, he's talking about works that benefit other people around them. And so God's people here are not benefiting other people. We'll read more about that a little bit in these other verses and other passages of Scripture. But I think these works that are talked about here are going kind of in a vertical up and down direction uh, towards God. So devote a whole other podcast to that <laughs> verse, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, our next two verses here, verses 12 and 13. Pastor Arena. Oh, you voluntold me this I time. I voluntold Thank you. you for the privilege. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 1, 12 and 13. When you come to appear before me, again, this is God talking. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So what we heard about in verse 11 had a lot to do with the sacrificial ceremony. This here is just the the gathering of the people in the courts and the temples, and their offerings are in vain. The trampling of my courts, I think, is a very neat phrase. Is You know, is that the... Just your feet are coming, just coming through the place, and nothing else is happening. Just trampling down the dirt without anything going up. I mean, that's kind of what I picture in my head. It's just the multitudes are coming, but nothing's happening. I envision that as something different. Like their footsteps are going inside, they're trampling in, and then trampling back out. Just to again, due diligence, pay due diligence, or just do what they're supposed to do for all of that. Is that what you're saying, or am I saying? Yes, something that's different? what I'm saying. That okay. The the foot traffic. There's still there's still yes. the foot traffic. But it doesn't mean anything. They're doing it just to be seen doing what they're supposed to be doing without anything actually going up to God. And that kind of comes back to what it says right before, asking them, who has required of you for this? Basically, why are you coming to the courts so often? And it's almost a rhetorical question because God knows that they're not coming there for God. They're just coming there because society is telling them, hey, this is what you're supposed to do, and they don't want to look like a bad member of society. And so they're going to the temple, but their heart isn't in it. Yeah, I think that, again, we see more of that today, too. I mean, Christianity is still very much part of United States society today. So I think even, let's say Christmas, right? What do many people do on Christmas? It's kind of a thing that you, what, go to church on Mm -hmm. Christmas? Christmas Easter. Yeah, almost regardless of, of where you believe. So, you know, sometimes, at least I've heard anecdotes about people that feel like they get dragged to go to church if they don't believe just because that's kind of what people do on those days. I mean, it sounds kind of like what, what I heard you saying, Isaac. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's more of a ceremonial tradition than it is actual a heartfelt desire to go commune with God. Yeah, yeah. That's what it sounds like here for sure. Well, shall we move on? Yeah, we'll... Um, um, I'll I'll uh, volunteer you, Brian. Read verse 14 and 15. All right, Isaiah 1, verse 14 and 15. 
Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you have many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Ooh, that's some big imagery right there. Yeah, what stuck out the most to you, Brian? Well, hands full of blood. Well, yeah, I can't escape that one either. Yeah. And then the the hiding of my eyes from you, that that kind of thinks, I picture in my head these people, you know, going through their, you know, trudging through the temple or doing their sacrifices, but just because they have to, and God's just shielding his face and looking away and not even giving heed to anything that's going on there. Yeah, so as you're doing that, you're making a gesture, covering your hand over your eyes, you know, and it reminded me of, like, when I'm watching, like, a really graphically intense movie Mm. for whatever reason. And sometimes I say, oh, I can't watch this. You know, it's just too much for me to bear. I mean, that's what it sounded like. That's what it reminded me of. Because it's offensive. Well, yeah, so much because it is is offensive. And this is offensive, what they're doing. Yeah, God's people are offending God so drastically in that way that he can't even look at them. Mm. I was trying to figure out this hands full of blood. Do you guys have any insights on that, that part? Hmm. Uh, well, going back to elsewhere in scripture, right? The wages of sin is death. So anytime you sin, you still have like a punishment that's coming upon you. So to me, I guess I think it means that they've done stuff with their their hands, meaning their life, and it just hasn't been paid for or atoned for or forgiven, as we would say. Do you think that's what it's talking? Yeah, about? I was gonna say that it kind of in, is an indicator of guilt and blame and wrongdoing. That's still the blood is the blood on your hands. You know that's a yeah. common phrase that the blood's on your hands. That means you're the guilty one. You're the one. Yeah, I'm thinking of like Pontius Pilate, mm-hmm. right? I'm innocent of this man's blood, washing his hands symbolically. And it'll start talking about washing your hands of the blood in that next hey, hey, section. Don't get ahead of ourselves, unless you want to go ahead and read that part. Okay. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call a transition. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Wow, these are the the big, big themes in Isaiah and the book of the prophets there. The big one is uh, justice. Justice was one of the big transgressions that is called out. And justice is basically treating people fairly. And notice there are two groups of people specifically called out that justice needs to be had for. Did you guys catch those? It's the orphans and the widows again. Yep, the fatherless and the widows. So this tells us that what was going on is that those two people groups were being mistreated. God has specific ways, you can go back in the Old Testament, first five books, as to how those people ought to be cared for by the Christian community, and it just wasn't happening. We just got done with the study of the book of Amos, and a little bit more specifically about the kinds of things that were happening, is that people would just take advantage of them financially, right? So with, with both of those people, right, with the widows and with the orphans, they don't usually have the financial means to purchase food or things for daily living on their own. So God set up some provisions for that, but what was happening in Amos is that the people would still take advantage financially, so that the business owners would still make them pay full price and make them cheat 
cheat their way towards more money uh, where it costs more for less product and still take advantage of those people that really didn't have any other choice to do. Right. The people that were already disadvantaged, they took advantage of them even more. Right. And uh, we're told again and again and again throughout Scripture the triad of people that we're supposed to take care of, right? The travelers, the widows, the orphans, and they're specifically calling them out for not doing this here. And you bring up Amos, and that's a really good point, because Amos and Isaiah, they're contemporaries. If I'm getting my dates right, I think Amos takes place about 10 to 15 years prior to the book of the beginning of the book of Isaiah. So it's about the exact same time that this is all going on. Same generation of people. Yeah, What's said in Amos is still... Though. Right. Yeah, so Amos was to the northern part of God's kingdom, and Isaiah was... Of Jerusalem. For the and southern Judea. part, yeah. yeah. But even in Amos's words, he still calls out the, the southern kingdom of Judah for doing the same things mm-hmm. in chapter 2, when he does his oracles against the nations there. So, Isaac, you brought up the wash passage, and we just skipped right over that. So, did you want to... Yeah, we're still doing the doom and gloom here. We, we, we've got a little bit of hope starting in, in these verses here. Well, maybe. I might well, disagree with you maybe. on that one. But it's interesting to see how this first verse, 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, how that kind of directly parallels that verse right before it, talk, where it talks about hiding Israel from his eyes because they're just so offensive to him. And the people's hands being so full of blood and so guilty that he can't deal with them anymore. And so he's calling them to repentance to stop having so much blood on their hands and to stop being so offensive so that he can look at them again so that he finally can start to care for them again. Yeah, so what's this? This is genius, Isaac, so... Props to you for picking up on this. This is what's called a chiasm. Have you heard of this term before? Where the Bible does this pretty often, especially in Hebrew poetry, where they will sort of parallel things back to back, where if you're doing it in like a like a Roman numeral outline, right? You'd have point A would be about the hands, you know, and then you'd go in, and then the next point would be... Oops, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. Point A would be about the eyes, and then point B would be about the hands and washing yourself. Then it would parallel, right? So then you do like a, they would call it B prime as I learned it. So like a second parallel point B would come. Again, the washing yourselves. And then you go back to the, the eyes again. So the A, B, B, A kind of pattern. So it kind of works in and, and works out there. And it's really cool picking up on these and you can hone into the special significance. Usually the significant spots are right in the middle of those A, B, B, A patterns or A, B, C, C, B, A patterns you got to focus on, on what's right in the middle as a significant part there. But it is neat how that's all set up, too. Yeah, I've learned a little bit about those chiasms. And don't they sometimes also apply to, like, whole books of the Bible? You can see a chiactic structure through them? Yeah, yeah. And, like, First Corinthians, for example, chapters 10, 10 or 11 through, uh, through the end kind of parallels that way, and it all comes to the middle in 13, and it talks about the the love chapter, because 12 and 14 both talk about spiritual gifts, the one right before and right after, and then you get to a little bit about bodies and the significance of our bodies and resurrection in those chapters previous to that, too. Yeah, well, in Mark's Gospel, they have whole sandwiches, like chiasm sandwiches. You start with one parable and get interrupted with another story and then go back, and then your idea is to focus on the connection between the two and then then highlight the, the central thing as well. 
Anyway, I'm definitely nerding out right now, so you'll have to. <laughs> I, I I started to pay attention again when you said sandwiches, but that's not what we're talking about. That's okay. Yeah. I think Can it's we cool talk about to. Sandwiches? <laughs> no. All right. What? What's that, Isaac? I think it's cool to see how it how the Bible does structure itself to point out these very important parts, though. Yeah, and I'd say Old Testament books are really good at this, and that's one thing that we just don't get. It just doesn't get conveyed very well in our English Bible that we opened up. They would have other markers even in the text sometimes that would indicate these things. Yeah, it's hard to pick up on these things unless you have someone else pointing them out to you. Yeah, well, you got that one yourself, so bravo, good sir. Nice work, guys. All right, so I want to get back to my disagreement with Brian here. Brian says there's hope. Not hope as in there... We're going to get to the hope here in a second. Okay, right. But this is the hope that it's not 100% locked in stone. He's pleading with them to change, which means that change is possible. That's what I'm trying to say. There's a hope of change. Okay. But you need to turn from what you're doing first. It's not that... At first he calls them Sodom and Gomorrah, and that just means complete destruction. You're out. You're done. Over. End. Period. Now he says, hold up a second. Make yourself right. And we'll see if we can get back in line here. Okay, so I guess what you're saying is, at first it sounded like there was no chance whatsoever to get out of it, mm-hmm. and now there is some glimmer of hope. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance, right? <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> or what God is saying. <laughs> yeah, and again, I disagreed with you, because who's the one responsible for that change, as, as the text says, right? It's, it's the people in charge of washing themselves. So we know God's that's not going to work. Saying, well, yeah, yeah. Like, well, going back to us spiritually today, if we hear Romans, right? You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Like, if God says you, okay, dig yourself out of your own grave. You know how you how you do that? Well, I'm dead. I can't dig myself out. And God's people eventually don't listen. I mean, spoiler alert: they get exiled. But still, there's still that side of God that has hope for redemption and mercy that's still coming through. I think that's what you're saying. Right. right. And he so wants still he still wants his side. people to be his people and to yeah. act accordingly to each other and to towards him. And that's what these two verses I think are calling for. The first is saying get right with the way that you present yourself to me and then we've talked about the oppressors and the fatherless and the widows get right with your fellow man as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I think we're ready for that uh, that more hopeful verse. If you want to, yeah, I would say just a little bit of background on how we pick these verses is uh, we just found a list of the most popular passages in Isaiah, and the reason that these are all pretty popular is because they have you know special significance, specifically gospel pointed ones. So this passage that we're talking about, we haven't hit that actual verse yet, but the next one we're about to read is is one that hopefully you've heard. Yeah, you're going to um, recognize it. Yeah, hopefully so, and it's it's fitting that we talk about it at this point in time, too, which we'll probably dig into a little deeper. So who gets to read this one this time? That's is that you. my turn? It is. Excellent. Verse 18, Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And that's the part that I think we all, or most of us, are familiar with being... Red to white, and then guilty to clean, that kind of thing. Of course, 
this is our uh, our gospel themed verse within this message that we've been talking about today. And it starts with these sins being scarlet, which goes again, once again, back to the blood, the blood mm-hmm. and the guilt. But now it's not us that's washing away our sin and our guilt. It's the Lord that washes it away for us. Right, yeah, with the the passive verbs there, right? They shall be as white as snow. Not you shall make them white as snow. Right. right? It's not yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not an action that Yeah, it's not an action that humankind's gonna take for themselves. It's something that's gonna be done to them or for them. Yeah. I've always been amazed by the practicality of this too. Uh, as a, as a dad and as a father with more responsibility now, there are times where you really have some nasty stains to get out in your clothes and furniture and everything else. I'll spare you the details, but having kids, you know, you get a lot more episodes of that. Some some stains are just hard to get out. I'm just not gonna lie, right? You just say we can't rescue this. You toss up your hands and say, okay, this is going in the trash. But like blood is notoriously hard to get out. I will say that. It's hard to, like, sometimes if you have deep blood stains or something like that, then sometimes it's easier just to throw the darn thing away. And Go ahead, Isaac. And that's kind of where the passage first starts at, is the that threat of just throwing it away like Sodom and Gomorrah, of just annihilating it. And then, instead, God washes our sins away. He pulls so up that, that bleach and baking soda and takes care of that blood stain for us. Yeah, is that what you uh, mean? No, Have I, I just, just been using the wrong I thing? don't really know what to use for blood because I don't know about your family, but we don't usually get in too many knife fights in mine, so I don't know where all this blood is coming from. Well, but. okay, all right. We have some <laughs> learning how to ride bikes and training wheels. And I, I still use a safety razor still, so I don't use like those big things. So sometimes I just... Go a little too quickly, <laughs> and end up with blood on my nice little little towel that I have to get out sometimes too. Not only never, does this podcast bad, give you a great insight into the Book of Isaiah, but you're getting to learn a lot more about the Kimball family as we go along here. That is true. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of safety razors, though. I could go off on that and try and convince you by the end if you didn't have a beard. You obviously have no need for one. Maybe after we're finished recording. All right. No, 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 no. You've got to try these safety razors. So back to the Word of God. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I know you were excited to discuss this passage, and I'm glad you got to read it, too. What what else would you like to... Well, I, d- I think something we all talked about already a little bit, but just the colors. Because I'm such a visual guy, so just seeing scarlet. Red is one of my favorite colors, but like scarlet is to me is like the deep, dark red. Mm-hmm. And that, that conveys a lot right there. And then, then the white is snow. I like that imagery as well. Because I, again, grew up up north where they had lots of snowfall. And, like, freshly fallen snow is one of the most beautiful things for me to, to look at. It's not right? just white. It sparkles. I mean, it's yeah, beyond. Yeah, you get the, the sun out there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just that transformation that takes place just connects with me as a visual learner as well. Red like crimson, becoming like wool again. I've I've always just kind of gravitated toward this passage. I remember reading it even, or hearing it read in, in Lent when I was half my height sitting in my dad's church in North Dakota, too, uh, just having an affinity for this one. But I think it's fitting that we do talk about it during the season of Lent as well, because it, it does kind of tie in with the, the themes of Lent, where we do focus a little bit more on the, the gravity of our sins, 
and the, the punishment of God that we deserve during these these six weeks and 40 days. So this is one of the passages that says, even though our sins are bad, right, we'll get lots of reminders of that during Lent, there's still hope on the other side in, in Jesus Christ. So this is, again, a clear, clear Christ-pointing passage here in the Old Testament in Isaiah. Because as we discussed in our previous episode, much of Isaiah is going to point towards Christ in one way or another, whether 100% directly or in imagery like this that we can see in our Lenten season. It points towards Easter, which is pointing towards Christ. This passage starts with our sin, which we kind of focus, like you're saying, we focus on in Lent, but then it moves us and points us back towards Christ. Amazing. I mean, this whole book, that's what it's all about, right? Is Jesus. Everything. And when you go back and you're several centuries before the man even came on the planet, I'm talking about him right here. It's pretty, Absolutely. It's pretty awesome. It's, I think, what's the time span for the Bible? It's written over 1,500 years or 1,800 years mm-hmm. or something, and still has one message. Do you remember even Jesus, when he was walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples there, said he explained to them how the entirety of scriptures concerning himself is what it was all about. I've always thought how envious it would be to be one of those two disciples hearing Jesus unpack all of Scripture, which at that time the New Testament wasn't written, so it was only the Old Testament. So Jesus is telling you, here's all the passages in the Old Testament that are talking about me. Awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this one could have very well been among them, this passage. Very, very well could have. Well, cool. I think that's a wrap for today, right? Yeah, I think we got a lot of amazing insight, and I'm glad we got to start with this section. It's a really good jumping off point to kind of show us what we're what we have to look forward to throughout the book, rest of the book of Isaiah. And we'll uh, we'll see a lot of these themes come up again, <laughs> again and again, as we go through it. Yeah, absolutely. We'd like to invite you to continue to uh, join us here at Holy Cross. So coming up this weekend, as you know, is uh, we have worship services, uh, 5 p.m., 8 a.m., and 10.30 a.m. We've also got our uh, Sunday Bible school hour and Sunday school hour in between our two services. And... We need to let you know, every Wednesday, we're going to have Lenten services at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. And before that 7 o'clock service, what do we have, Isaac? We have a dinner. What time does it start? Starts at 5.45. That's right. You have a special one this week. What's coming up this week? I'm surprised you don't know. Hosted by the Board of Missions, we're doing our pizza for puppies this Oh, the puppies are eating pizza. Is that how it goes? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. However, all the proceeds from the dinner, which is going to be pizza, will go towards our Mission on the Quarter, the Lutheran Church Charities Comfort Dogs. It was really fun to have them here a couple of weeks back. Were you here for that, Brian? I missed that week, but believe me, I know the board of the, uh, or the chair of the Board of Missions, um, and she talked a lot about those puppies, and she really, really thinks it's an amazing, amazing thing they've got going on there. I agree. It's, it's an amazing program. Uh, helps a lot of people. So let's let's get to that dinner, have some fellowship, and raise some money for those puppies. All right, that's great. Who's closing us in prayer today? All right, Isaac, thanks for volunteering. Why don't you go ahead and close us out with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together to study your word and to learn more about you. Please help us to continue to seek justice and to defend the 
widowed and orphaned, and also to remember that even when we do fail, as we always do, our sins are still forgiven, and that crimson is washed white through the blood of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Thanks, Isaac. Well, we'll be back next week to do two more of these episodes, so come join us again, and we'll get back into the book of Isaiah. All scripture readings come from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. 